Coming up next, the booketing reads the Shakespeare. Hey everybody. Yeah, hey. The I, Shakespeare. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't have a good intro. I was going to say, like, the existential hero of all time or something. I don't know. I had, my brain was going in that direction, and then I pulled out of that and thought that I would just say Hamlet, but then I had already said the article, the, and it was a mess. It was a disgusting, deplorable mess. Speaking of disgusting, deplorable messes, let me introduce our panelists today. We've got Brandon Chastine, the scholar who's a baller of reading, Ghost Brandon himself. He's got some other name that we just came up with, but I don't remember. You guys remember what names we came up with last time? Last time? Yeah. No. No. No memory of it. Me neither, but I have a vague memory that we came up with a thing so i'm sure somebody out there remembers i'm sure somebody out there remembers well brandon i don't know if i said that my name is nathan your humble and obedient host why don't you introduce the other gentlemen of the three gentlemen of verona man he's, my he's, gun is clogged today anyway he's got introduce his the out again <laughs> yeah yeah well you know i just felt like it was necessary so it is. Any chance you get, man, you got to wave it around. To brandish my, my wand, yeah. Grizio. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't He's trying to torture me. That's great. Yeah. I feel uh, the camaraderie this morning. Or afternoon beast, or whatever it is. It's the Beastmaster mm-hmm. from Funky Town. Mm-hmm. Can you to Funky Town? What's the song? <laughs> Take me to Funky Town. Is Nathan there? He's just like he muted himself because he's eating. Oh, I see. So sorry, can't. guys. Didn't get to eat today. Eating a <laughs> delicious protein bar. Mm, what it's, brand? Well, that's a good question. What brand is this? It's a protein chewy bar, Millville, whatever that is. Huh. Well, being on the road a lot and trying to find healthy ways to eat. I have become a connoisseur of the Power Protein Bar. Mm-hmm. What's your recommendation? None of them are all that good. <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing to do is to get a Fairlife Elite Protein Shake. Those are actually delicious. They have 42 grams of protein and they Whoa. have like four grams of of carbs. Serious? How yeah. many calories in one of those bad boys? Not many. It's about Four. as, you can get them, depending on the gas station, if you get them at Casey's, it's going to cost you like 450 but if you how can you, get them at a different gas station, you can get them for like three bucks. How do you find, like, where do they, where are they? So you just go to like the section where they sell like chocolate milk and things oh, like that. That makes sense. And I they'll was, have I was protein, like, the like, protein shakes there, but don't, don't go for muscle milk. Um, muscle milk is overpriced and they use like soy protein and crap. But Fairlife is like whey protein. It's it's milk protein, and it's 
you know, you get it in chocolate. I, I've actually had it in a couple different flavors, which is like, like one time, well, a couple times I've been out of chocolate and I've tried the vanilla and strawberry and even those taste pretty good. Huh. And uh, well, I'm a just about the tastiest myself, so. little like bottled protein shake, quality protein and a good nutrient profile. Yeah. And satisfying, fill you up. And 42 grams of protein, it ain't nothing. No, you're not lot, getting that. So. You're not getting that from a power bar, right? You're gonna get 17 from a from a power bar, and it may taste like cardboard, or it may taste yeah, like, like those those one. I think it's called the one bar. They yeah. come in like the various flavors. I mean, Quest birthday Quest cake bars is, are okay, Quest, but Quest are fine. But honestly, like honestly, like if you just want like a shot of protein for under four dollars, that is gonna satiate you and not give you a whole bunch of sugar and crap. The Fairlife Elite protein shakes are the way to go. It's good to know. Wow. Yep. I should have asked you sooner. Yep. Fair you know. Life and Elite. Three words. We have three pots to get headcasters. Which one of us is fair? Which one of us is life? And which <clears> one of us is elite? I think Jake must be elite because he you knows can all get, these tricks. You can get the Fairlife core power, for well, that, but and they'll be a little cheaper, but they'll have more sugar and they'll be only 26 grams of protein. Okay. But if you pay like... 50 cents or a dollar more for the, the like elite core power or whatever um the sugar and and carbs will drop to next to nothing the protein will double and they make you pay for a healthier one yeah That's and how life goes and you do because you pay and only you 50 would. cents for like a bag of cheetos <laughs> that's right i mean i wouldn't but one would perhaps well, you guys want to talk about Hamlet? Hmm. <laughs> sure. I think we have uh, to, don't we? Why? We can talk about protein instead. Yeah. Throw curses at each other across talk the internet with our wands. Doing some bench press and then drinking our protein shakes. Well, we have established before that we are always working out while doing these podcasts. Yeah. How much do you think Shakespeare could bench press? <laughs> Who do you think would be uh, Shakespeare's buffest hero? Shakespeare's buffest hero. Hero or th- just anybody? Just anybody, but I'm thinking Othello would have to be up there, right? Oh, sure. I yeah. mean, uh, uh, Julius Caesar. Oh, yeah. Macbeth. By the time we meet Julius Caesar, though, he's an elder statesman type dude. He's not, I mean, he's not an old man or anything, but I also have to imagine he's not in his physical prime anymore. Mark Antony. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, Antonius. not a great play, but. Titus Andronicus, maybe. Mm. Yeah. He just maybe. got back from the war. Hal. Hal. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. He's probably but like in a, a Tom Hiddleston sort of way. Yeah. These uh, days. Well, I just because they play, Tom, uh, they cast Tom Hiddleston as Hal, he's still a warrior king. Yeah. Yeah. He has to Should be plausibly can't. a reprobate, though. So you cast for that. Or you should have cast, cast him as words. But you could cast the bodybuilder as that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, Arnold Schwarzenegger was nothing if not a reprobate. If you watch like Pumping Iron, <laughs> I would watch. Like, I would really watch stuff. the Henry V movie with Dave Bautista as how as how. It'd probably just be good. That guy's a good actor. Uh-huh. I know that's what I'm. Yeah, he's he's, he's great. I mean, Henry V might not be <laughs> it might role. be a little beyond his. <laughs> he was the best part of that grade. stupid new Blade Runner movie. Yeah, he was quite good in that stupid new Blade Runner movie, and that movie was stupid he was the and best new the best thing about specter yeah he was actually he didn't even get to say anything he was still the best thing about specter <laughs> he, he had one one line <laughs> mm-hmm. yep it was a good line. two word line 
Yeah, he deserved a cooler death, though. I thought that was kind of a lame. I mean, I liked the way that they did it, but I, <laughs> was he, I think... so he just had like a cameo. <coughs> he he played the muscle. He, he was played like... the muscle. He chased Bond for the entire movie. There's always that guy, oh, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, like the, the henchman. He's the sub boss. Odd job. The odd job of the of this particular yeah. movie. But they didn't give him like a memorable. Like a lot of times, your Bond henchmen will have like. A, a special gadget or a, or a scar or some kind of... He had like metal fingernails or something like that. Yeah, that's right. He could like metal shock Metal fingernails. Someone. He like gouges the dude's eyes out. Was that not just because he was awesome enough to gouge a dude's eyes out? It, it, it They just like, much. they flashed at his fingernails for half a second and it almost looked like he... It, it, you go back the next time you watch it. Mm-hmm. It looks like they want to hint at the fact that he may have some kind of something... But also, they w- want to be above it. Okay. So. Yeah, that's lame. Well, I do watch Spectre every Thursday. So Spectre Thursdays. Spe- yeah, Spectre Thursdays. That's what I call them. I decided not to be alliterative. I thought about Spectre Saturday or Spectre Sunday, but <laughs> too much alliteration. Saturday is not healthy for a young boy. Spectre Thursday. Yes, Spectre Thursday. Nicely done, Jake. All right, and speaking yeah. of nicely done, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Shakespeare did a nice job when he wrote Hamlet. Uh, That's man. quite the limb to go out on. Do you feel safe out on that limb? I don't know. I don't know. It might break. I think it's one of those redwood limbs. In what the if Tolstoy red... doesn't agree with you? Well, Tolstoy's <laughs> a at sign money symbol, money symbol sometimes. Let me just say. Huh. True. A dollar dollar. A dollar, at dollar dollar. Yeah, that's what he is. Hey, okay. So I've got a question. This comes to us from our listener, Brian. Okay. And he says, just listen to your podcast on Hamlet. Fun stuff. Anyway, I have two questions for you that I would love to hear addressed in your podcast. So you guys ready to do do Q&As. This is great. Yeah. So I don't even, I've read this like a week ago. I don't actually remember the questions. We're all going to respond to this in real time. It's fun to see the episodes the booking has a groove. We know what we're doing mm-hmm. until we get to Shakespeare, and then we scramble because we got to find some way to talk about him. Yeah, no, this these Hamlet episodes are going to be classic booking, and I don't mean I classic. think so far they've been great. Yeah, yeah, and this one's going to be no exception because we're starting with two questions from Brian. Question number one. Ooh, this one's interesting. Hamlet comes from Wittenberg, the same university as Luther studied at, and I he makes reference. That. What's that? Yeah, I noticed that. He makes no, reference. Not like, sorry, oh, read the question. That was you don't you. He's you, being a jerk. I, I didn't mean like I noticed that in the sense that he didn't need to ask the question. I'm like, yeah, I noticed that too. Like, cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. Remind good to nice remind observation, me. Brian. I had actually right, yeah. forgotten yeah. until uh-huh. now that that was an observation that's worth making. Sorry. Wow. No, that's not what you thought. Paging the obvious society, Brian, CEO. <laughs> <sighs> what an idiot! All right, Captain Brian. Obvious himself. Yeah, Brian. Yep, yep, yep. That's not what I meant. Let's yep. go, Brian. Yep. <laughs> Having fun licking dirt, Brian, because that's all you're smart enough to do, you dumb idiot. I'm just saying Anyways. what Brandon's thinking. Yeah. Yep. Glad you're reading my mind, Nathan. Yep. <laughs> I should have never agreed to put those mind reader electric implants. implants in my head, yeah. No, you never should have put those mind reader electric implants in your head. That was, I don't know why you agreed to that. Okay, so... Brian says, Hamlet comes from Wittenberg, the same university as Luther studied at, 
and he makes reference to a diet of worms later on, thus layering a bit of Protestantism, I don't know why my lips can't say that word, into the story. On the other hand, we have a very Catholic ghost that seems to have popped out of purgatory, claiming to have gone to death unprepared. No shriving time allowed. Do you guys have any theories? Yeah, I have a theory. Shakespeare thought ghost story would be pretty cool and he told one and when you're telling a ghost story it's often with catholic overtones because protestants don't believe in ghosts don't we i don't know i mean i'm thinking christmas carol that's uh loaded with catholic overtones right yeah somehow the catholic church and ghost stories go well together don't they yes but i do think that so historically that wasn't so uh, I don't. I shouldn't have started that with. I do think because I don't. It is a fact historically. I I should have said that. that Brandon instead. doesn't think. Right. Yes. <laughs> we we're all aware of that fact. No, no, we know that. Now we know that it's a historical fact that Brandon doesn't think. Mm-hmm. Um, one star. One star. Yep. After Henry VIII broke with the Catholic Church because he wanted to be able to, to divorce his wife, as one does, and so you make your own church when you want to be able for to do yourself. that. Yeah, I have never made my own church to divorce my wife. You guys have never heard of the Church of Brandon. <laughs> it's a wow. joke, Let's go, Brandon. honey. She well, maybe you divorced your first wife there. so you could marry Anna. It's I don't true. Know why that's better. Yeah, that's much better. She was a shrew, so that makes it okay. Uh, you um, could have tamed her, just buddy. Tamed her. Yeah. Yep. Up. Mm. Yeah. Great minds. I only read Shakespeare before then. I actually didn't start reading literature in, until I got married to Anna. Mm. Oh, okay. Your so, second wife. Yeah, we're trying to make... Anyways. And you guys married at 16, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> that first marriage. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know. Yeah. Don't get married at 12. Um, yep. <laughs> wow, you couldn't tame a 12-year-old. That says a lot about you, Brandon. That does say a lot about you. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so Henry VIII started He's Henry the Catholic VIII, Church, but even... <laughs> he didn't start the Catholic Church. He started the Anglican Church. <laughs> Wait, but even then, it the had Church of heavy, England. I think we call the it. Church of England. Yes, but even then, there were heavy Catholic influences. It wasn't like he tried to break completely with the Catholic tradition, but because of that, he would begin to offer protections to Protestants in England that weren't really available in Europe at the time because of the Spanish Inquisition that was going on and the sympathies in the Holy Roman Empire. With like, there were horrible things happening in the Netherlands with uh, Protestant prosecution, uh, per- prosecution, persecution. And so England actually became a haven for Protestants until you had the whole shenanigans that happened after his death with the fight for the throne with Edward VI, his son being Protestant, and then being manipulated into offering more Protestant protections under Jane Grey, and then Bloody Mary coming up and kind of throwing that off kilter with her sympathies for Catholicism. And so all that to say, I think that Shakespeare very frequently brings up both Catholic and Protestant nods in his works because of that uh, real turmoil that was still present in England at the time. So, yeah, I kind of had fights over the Church of England and Protestantism and Catholicism going on all at the same time in England. So, And let's see, John Calvin was born 1509, Shakespeare was born 1564. I'm just looking at some dates here. It's, it's not like we got it all sorted out at this time and no, there was a real clear dividing line between... 
Protestantism. Over here, I'll just look on the internet and see all the tenets of Protestantism, and then over here I mean, we've got... Milton was kind of a contemporary, but a late contemporary of Shakespeare's, and so we were still a couple decades away from him being thrown in, or at least put under house arrest because of his religious convictions. So the fight between, the struggle between those three churches, I mean, the pilgrims would have to leave England and all that as well. There was just a lot of religious turmoil that was happening, and so... I think it's I think it's uh, clear that he was referencing both the Reformation and Catholicism in this play. I don't know what to make of it that the ghost is has Catholic overtones and yet Hamlet has this association with the Reformation. I don't know if he's trying to criticize reformed thinking through Hamlet. I think it's a character beat. I think Hamlet is a very modern man and he yeah. knows a little bit about everything and he's an intellectual, and he would be up on the latest philosophies and ideas and stuff like that. So Hamlet's kind of getting drawn back into this medieval morality play, but he himself would be, you know, Hamlet as a character would be very f- familiar with. Yeah, I guess a novel that does similar things would be Absalom, Absalom, where the main character comes back, Quentin Compson, from, I think he goes to Harvard. But then he goes back to his home where he then hears the story of everything that had happened with his family and the horrible degradation that was there. So I think it's kind of pulled into it and in some ways involved himself. So Yeah. So it feels like Shakespeare's throwing everything into a Cuisinart. That's because he's throwing everything into a Cuisinart. And I don't know why you'd expect him to do anything else. All right. Second question. Yeah, let's hear it. All right. Oh, this one's interesting. This is getting into the meat of the play. Mmm, tasty. Do you think Hamlet is guilty for killing Polonius? Do you think Shakespeare wants us to think he is guilty for killing Polonius? When Hamlet attributes the killing to madness in the last scene, is he dodging responsibility? Or does Shakespeare expect us to blame Claudius for Polonius being collateral damage? Does he expect us to blame Claudius or Hamlet? Is that his question? Does Shakespeare... So I guess there's three options. It could be Hamlet's fault. It could be nobody's fault. It could be Claudius's Claudius's fault. fault. Or it could be Polonius's fault for just being an idiot. So there's four options. I do know how to count. Well, I mean, I do think Polonius is supposed to be an idiot. He's a counselor who never gets his counsel right. But I know himself be true. Yeah. I think my answer is probably yes. All of the above. Yeah, Yeah, that's kind of where I fall. I, I don't think, I mean, it's pretty clear Hamlet knew what he was doing. Yeah, I mean, but Hamlet was trying to kill somebody. Polonius, yeah. 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 He thought it was Claudius. He hoped it was Claudius. Yeah. But that's reckless, but, reckless but he, manslaughter at the very at least. At the very I least, mean, yeah. What is this, thought, a rat behind the curtain? I'm going to kill it. Right. Well, if you are going to kill somebody behind a curtain without looking to see who it is, then... Yeah, if I'm on the jury, I'm convicting Hamlet. Well, especially since through that action, he not only kills Polonius, but starts Ophelia's... Downslide, yeah, into her own death. So, yeah, poor, poor Ophelia. Oh, oh, Ophelia. Ophelia. I mean, culpability is definitely one of the big questions of this play. Who's responsible, and how are they responsible? Yeah, well, and I think. Go ahead. As the son of a king, and as the brother of a king who then usurps the throne, both Claudius and Hamlet bear a level of responsibilities that others don't. I I think that because of, you know, England was under a monarchy and all these things, I think that Shakespeare had an awareness of 
the responsibility of authority, whether or not the person who has that authority likes it or not, is definitely a real thing, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the way, that's what makes his tragedies work. Julius Caesar can say all he wants that he doesn't want the power that everybody knows he wants. Mm-hmm. And Brutus can try and pretend all he wants that as of an influential senator, he really didn't have as much blood on his hands, but they do. Brutus because, is a noble man. Yeah. Because Shakespeare knows that when you have, he has, I mean, something that our church in Warhorn, they, you guys talk about a lot is that we just don't understand authority the right way, or we don't understand authority at all, really, as Americans. But there is, you have to think, as a British man would think of authority, mm-hmm. and the royalty, and the nobility, and sure, they get all sorts of perks because they're noblemen, but they also then get a whole bunch of weight thrown on them as well. Right. There is a, you can see it in Jane Austen. There's a weight to being Darcy that there is not to being a Bennett, for example. Yeah. Mr. Knightley and all the responsibility he takes for the whole community is probably the best example of that in Austen. But it's just, it's an, it's something that he doesn't just assume. It's also something that he has to take on because of his position. And I think that what's really so, are we talking about the David Tennant version yet? Uh, we can't we save sure. that for any, another podcast. No, we can talk about it. We can we can weave in and out like Shakespeare himself. We can well, weave one thing, together. One thing that re- was interesting in the way he portrayed Hamlet is he kind of portrays him as this punk who I think partly enjoys his slide into madness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and therefore, I mean, his culpability is that he didn't really want it in the first place and was kind of looking for an excuse to cast it off anyways. Right. You know? Which I think tracks well with what you were saying about this Wittenberg. He's this cool hip. He's a hit like he's like a hipster. He's coming home. I know Jake hates that word, but I'm just thinking of all the graduates. It's students. meaningless. Yeah. Well, but, except for everybody knows what Brandon means by it. So, right. like it was, it had a moment. It, it had a very brief moment where it meant something, and unfortunately, that moment was when I was in grad school, and there were like these. They weren't. They thought that they were Bohemians, but they also had trust funds under them. To support mm-hmm. their lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. and that was what a hipster was. They would hang out in coffee shops and then go to graduate school professionally because they could. Yeah, I guess it may have at this point come back to meaning something because it it's not the hammer that, you know, it was a term used to define something that came to be a term that defined anything that you don't like or that's cooler than you. Right. Yeah, that's that that is that has now sort of passed out of existence because it became so useless and meaningless. Yeah, And now it can sort of mean what it originally did again. And what it originally meant was kind of, I mean, it was exactly that, was that it was this person who wished that they could be a bohemian, but had way too much money to be a bohemian. Mm-hmm. For whom the, what is it, the the Sun Also Rises, is that the Hemingway book where they go to the... The bullfight? Yeah, the bullfights and all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's full of hipsters. Yep. Right. And so it is a very particular type of person, and I think that David Tennant seems like he's wanting to play Hamlet off as that kind, which is Mm -hmm. really interesting. So his madness seems a little bit feigned, like he's wanting, either he was already mad or he's really performing it because he doesn't want, he doesn't really want to be the king. He doesn't really, he just wants a reason to be dramatic and to be not responsible for anybody, not Ophelia, not his father, not, he just wants a reason to feed his emotions. Right. That's interesting because the classic question is how mad is Hamlet if he's mad at all? Like that's that's one of the big questions that people have always asked about this play. And yet it feels like every modern version makes the choice that he's not, basically. If you think about 
what's his face? Uh, that jerk that's proud of himself. What is that guy's Kenneth name? Branagh? If you think about Kenneth Branagh, he basically plays Hamlet as an intelligent man who's not mad. If you think about Tenet, he basically plays Hamlet as a punk who's having fun with it. I haven't seen Olivier all the way through ever, but I haven't seen Olivier for a long time. So maybe Olivier does a more traditional, like this guy maybe was really just broken by this ghost kind of performance. But Mel Gibson, very straightforward, heroic Hamlet. And they you can always kind of, I don't think with any with those three with Branagh Gibson and what's his face David Tennant I don't I would argue you don't really even ask the question like you, there's never a point where the performance tells you that they're actually mad maybe you guys would disagree with that well when's the last time you saw Gibson I, have, I remember asking the question it's been decades probably and I don't know that I've ever seen it through I'm just picturing Gibson like he seems healthy, I guess. Is uh, so may- maybe Gibson actually does because Gibson does like in the Lethal Weapon series and things like that. He has a good line in. I'm going crazy over here. Mm-hmm. All right, I will restrict myself to Branagh and Tennant then. I don't remember enough to say. I just have an i. I had an idea that he towed that line pretty well, right? At least to my high school sensibilities, whatever those were. Yeah, well, my high school. What was that? Twenty five years ago. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. Do you think? Do you guys have a take on Hamlet's madness? Do you think that Hamlet is supposed to be mad, or what's what's Shakespeare doing with this character of Hamlet? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think it is the whole point is to toe that line, and I mean, okay, uh, he's acting or he starts out acting, but how far acting are you when you end up feigning madness as you conspire to kill the king and? Yeah, I mean, the whole point is to ask the question, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess as you say that, what I'm thinking is actually who cares because the difference between feigning it and it being so, you know, he gets the net result of being a madman, whether and how many people are in psychiatric hospitals who get the net result of being madmen, but they right. They have some self-awareness about it. I'm sure lots of people have self-awareness about their, their own craziness the madness. And, and make conscious decisions about, well, I'm going to act this out in a performative way now. I mean. Everybody else thinks I'm mad. I might as well act that way. Right. There's a s- sort of inverse fake it till you make it. Right. Yeah. Quality there. Yeah. Well, and I feel like I've never had a psychotic breakdown, but I, I feel like the times that I... The things in my life that I can relate to that, like when I get angry with my wife or something like that, I would love to say that I'm just out of control. But the moments in my life where I'm actually out of control are so few and far between as to almost not exist. Like, you you always have a choice, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what same person makes the choices that Hamlet makes? Right. Really, what same person reacts to... I have seen a ghost, the ghost of my father, and he has said that he was killed by my uncle. And so now I will act like a madman in my own house. And like, it just gets crazier from there. But let me, let me, let me push back though. He saw a ghost of his dad and he really like, let's assume it wasn't a vision or anything like that. Let's assume he saw a ghost. Uh, We're supposed to believe he really saw a ghost. That's why Shakespeare gave us three witnesses right yeah yeah i don't think that there's much credence to the idea that he didn't see a ghost so his dad opening scene is the two guards and the incredulous you guys are 
stupid. Yeah. And then he gets convinced, and then the three of them go convince Hamlet. Right. Pretty we much the whole point of Horatio, in, the rationalist, is even he ends up believing the ghost. Yeah. Yeah. We've really seen a ghost. Right. So he really saw a ghost. Everything. If you really saw a ghost and the ghost really said, you're the only one who knows it, but uh, your uncle murdered me and you have to take revenge, uh, you might do a lot of things. I mean, I think there's a plausible argument that Han- Hamlet handled himself pretty well. I mean, he could have come up with a better revenge scheme and we could, you know, we could have a discussion about the morality of revenge or something like that. But that's not my point. <laughs> yeah, I think you could argue he played it off as well as he could. That Shakespeare played it off as well as he could? No, that Hamlet played it off as well as he could. That Hamlet, I mean, he he had a ghost tell him he needed to take revenge. What would you do? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I would do, Nathan. <laughs> what would you do? Hmm. I'm like, like a, a mad crazy like, person, drive my girlfriend yeah. into drowning herself, romp around a graveyard with some skulls, and then get in a big dramatic sword fight and kill everybody with her, with her brother, everybody. right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, sounds about right. And yourself? I don't know. I mean, maybe I'd just go stab Claudius. I guess that, you know, that that's the other thing people like to say about Hamlet is that he's passive or it's a play about the perils of inaction or something like that. No, again, he's seen a ghost, but he is concerned about, I don't know, like, it looked like my dad, talked like my dad, moved like my dad, said it was my dad. Maybe it's not my dad. How do I figure out how to verify this crap? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, he comes up with a pretty elaborate scheme to verify it, but he does. Yeah. And then he know. goes to kill Claudius. He he doesn't want to kill him because his soul might go to heaven. <laughs> Which is an interesting twist. Well, the ghost specifically asked that he, the ghost says that he killed him so that he could have it, it last rites, and that's why he's stuck in purgatory. And the vengeance needs to be the same for Claudius that he doesn't get to die forgiven. Right. He has to die in his sins. Right. And then he we he goes and has a confrontation with his mother. Completely understandable. I mean, it's a crazy confrontation, but uh, she did, you know. Yeah, conspire to have his dad killed and then marry his uncle, you know, while the 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 feast from the funeral served the wedding or uh, Shakespeare said it better than I did. Uh, And then he goes off, avoids getting killed by his best friends, comes back and gets his revenge. I don't know. Seems pretty rational to me. The whole killing his best friends. Well, they were going to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. They are they dead. They are dead. Have you guys seen that Tom Stoppard play? I have no, never I seen that. No, I just referenced it, though. I don't know if you caught my reference. I didn't. I just, I was just asking. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. It's funny. It's better than probably Beckett, but <coughs> I say that because it's loosely based on Waiting for Godot. Right. One of the challenges of Shakespeare is that... It's not really a challenge, just it's kind of a feature of the fact that he was writing plays is that he's not giving you any hints as to what the character's actually thinking. Like with a novel, you get some insight into their inner thoughts. But with Shakespeare, the best you get are the asides. So the to be or not to be, that gives you a pretty good clue as to what Hamlet's actually thinking. Mm-hmm. That there is something more than madness going on because he's got some pretty coherent thoughts about the reality of death and the responsibility of choosing what to do. So, But Polonius gets everything wrong, and he says, this be madness, there's method in it. 
That's true. So then, therefore, Shakespeare. Then, if we're to get, if we're to take that and say that Polonius gets everything wrong, therefore Hamlet really was mad. Is that what you're saying? I don't know. Somebody said earlier in the discussion that Polonius gets everything wrong. <laughs> well, he does seem to get a lot of things wrong. I don't actually think that. I, the thing that I love about this play, like I stumble over Shakespeare all the time because I'm unclear. Like, why is Macbeth suddenly acting like a thug here? It seemed like he was a reasonable man before this, even if he had committed a crime. This play, everybody's motives feel intentionally ambiguous and their actions feel like they track. And where you can read things both ways, I feel like I see a level of intentionality that's hard for me to find in other Shakespeare plays sometimes. So, for example... Polonius, to me, feels plausibly like a guy who's actually probably a pretty crafty statesman, but also a blowhard, but also he's had this job for two kings now for a reason. And I just think you see both things and you see him at his wit's end with a problem that he can't solve and you see him bloviating and being stupid. But it's not like all of his advice to his son, I forget the guy's name, is bad. The do that on self be true speech is not intended as pure parody. I don't think. No, no. And and when he's arming the servant to go figure out what's really going on with the son, that's pretty smart. And yeah, okay. All his schemes black backfire, but I just think all these characters have, you know, Claudius does seem like a mustache twir- twirling villain some of the time, but he also seems like a plausibly good King who could have just, you know, yeah, he got there by patricide, but People tend to like him, and he's making okay decisions. And Fratricide. Not... Frat- yeah, sorry. Yeah, not, yeah not the Patrick, Patrick Stewart performance actually really emphasizes that. He's, he doesn't seem like a 100% villain. Right. So I think you can go either way. Just like with Polonius, you can play him as a total bumbling fool or as a plausible statesman. With Claudius, you can play him as a mustache-twirling villain or as a plausible king. And I think that it's more appropriate to the text to play him as a plausible king, uh, which is what Patrick Stewart does. It's what Jared, Derek Jacoby does in the Branagh version. I don't remember what the guy in the Gibson version. I don't either. Does with it <laughs> like at all. But yeah, I think Claudius should be. I think Claudius should be and is a plausible king. I think Gertrude is a plaus- should be a, and is a plausible queen. They're not just debauched schemers, although they have those elements. I think you should. I think Claudius's uh, guilty conscience should be played sincerely. And then when Claudius is coming up with schemes to kill Hamlet and being real brutal and mustache twirling, that should be played sincerely too. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like it all tracks. So anyway, I guess that was my way of my way of at length kind of disagreeing with the idea that Polonius is a hundred percent an idiot. I think he's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't even remember which one of us said that. It might have been me. but That he was 100% an idiot. Or, or just implied that somehow. Oh, I think the point... Uh, you know, I was I, more I, just... I, yeah, go ahead. I th- all I said was that most of his um, advice turns out to be wrong. Yeah, true. Which, I mean, that's just a feature of the play. Right. And it is a feature of his character, too. I, I do think that with Hamlet and... Lear to an extent, but really with Hamlet, there's a level of realism that you don't see with a lot of the other plays in the sense that it feels, like you said, it feels like if you've ever been in a situation where you're with other people and you're trying to figure one another out, especially if you don't know them all that well or if it's family or something like that, there's a, nothing's ever as straightforward and one-dimensional as we would like it to be. Mm-hmm. And nobody's ever as straightforward and one-dimensional as we would like them to be. Yeah. 
And I think Hamlet, I think Shakespeare's showing that with these characters. Claudius isn't. None of these characters are. This might be the supreme capturing of that element of human nature in literature. I mean, the complex motivations. I don't know how to say it in a sentence, what you just said, but is there a better work of literature for just evoking how complicated people are? I mean, you could say Tolstoy. But Tolstoy sort of solves the puzzle. He's like, here's this complicated person, and now here's 500 pages to explain every facet of what's complicated about them. Yeah, Uh, I don't know that anyone just evokes the puzzle as well as Shakespeare without necessarily solving it. Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You're right. Order of the Phoenix. I saw the wand again. But right after Order of the Phoenix... I would say Hamlet and then wrinkle in time, probably Charles Wallace. Mm-hmm. Avocado toast. He did li- like that avocado toast. He was eating avocado toast before avocado toast was popularized by the hipsters. Charles Wallace. I mean, if we could call anyone a hipster and mean everything that everyone's meant by hipster, Charles Wallace contains multitudes of hipster within him. He is all hipster. Yeah. He is the, Hipster Legion. Uber hipster. <laughs> yeah, we are hipster. Jake, what is your favorite part of the play Hamlet? I like it all, Nathan. How about you? What's your favorite part? I like it all as well. But if you had to narrow it down to one part, which part would you narrow it down to? I wouldn't. But if someone asked you in order to generate some content for a podcast? I would stubbornly dig my heels in in order to generate alt content. What if the person felt like the podcast already had enough alt content and now they just needed some actual content. Part of the difficulty with a straightforward answer is it's going to lead us back to things we've already talked about because how do you give a straightforward answer to that without it being something like the to be or not to be speech? Yep. What's your what's your favorite unexpected, uh, what's the word, deep cut from Hamlet? Get thee to a nunnery. That's not a deep cut. That's that's like the greatest hit. <laughs> in the in the David Tennant version, it's when the, <coughs> he keeps running around telling that one guy to swear, swear, swear it. it, and then Patrick uh, Stewart's voice goes, "Swear it!" <laughs> and shakes the cathedral where they're and in. And then they decide to randomly run to a different part of the yeah, set. That that was that it, was it's wild. Going to start, yeah, yeah. Wild. I had no clue what was happening there, but it was uh, it was fun. <laughs> it must be in the text because Branagh does the same thing he where does, they yeah. they run around and they end up in different places. And I've never really understood what's going on there. I have to admit. I think it's I think it's Hamlet finally losing his marbles. I thought we decided that he was sane. No. <laughs> not in that scene, he's not. <laughs> well, he did just see the ghost of his father telling him about a murder most foul, so. <coughs> Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Something Maybe. is rotten in the state of Denmark. Uh, what did you guys think about the David Tennant version? It was fine. I I resented it a little, I think. I, I like David Tennant, but it, it, it felt like it was... I, I just don't like it, it's rare to watch a Shakespeare play where they ma- make the big swing in casting and then they just say ha we've it's like when we watched the the War of the Roses and they cast Bennett Cumberbatch as Richard right and it's like well 
we've done all the work that we need to do. We've guessed Benedict Cumberbatch as Richard. Let's just zoom in on his face and let him perform the crap out of this. And there's a whole lot of that that sort of happens in this version of Hamlet with Tenet that I just felt like it would have been nice to... I mean, I know that that's the play, but I don't know. Yeah, I felt that way with Benedict Cumberbatch and Richard. And maybe I just don't like Benedict Cumberbatch or I'm more tired of him than I am of David Tennant. Because I know what you mean. This was very cutesy. Like, oh, it's just David Tennant doing David Tennant stuff. Enjoy Doctor Who fangirls. But there was a lot of that. (laughs) But I did not resent this one. I mean, I thought, I don't know. It just, it felt fresh. Maybe I was just tired of Branagh. I've seen the Branagh version a bunch and started watching that and was really pretty bored by it so maybe i just wanted something fresh i liked patrick stewart as claudius a lot anytime he can get patrick stewart in a shakespeare adaptation it's a win really i've not seen him do anything that isn't great yeah his macbeth is fantastic by the way he eats a lot of pickles in his macbeth and yeah it's a his macbeth is great his his lear Mm -hmm. is great his uh professor charles xavier uh, a famous great. Shakespeare. It's famous play. Shakespeare. Yeah. I think he wrote that one in Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. Oh, brother. that's a, There's a movie that I try not to remember too much. Never seen Brandon, it. your thoughts on the David Tennant version of Hamlet real quick. Pretty similar to Jake's, I, I, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. So, I had a fun time, especially with the Patrick Stewart performance. Yeah, Patrick Stewart was good. And the Polonius was pretty good. Yeah, everybody was good. Ophelia was a little weird. Yeah, I was not expecting that. They made her much more like self-aware and hip before she went crazy at the end. And that was a weird choice. Yeah. Like, I think at a certain point, you just have to be like, ah, Shakespeare wrote a waifish little girl part. So let's Yeah, the just... whole scene with between her and her brother before he's leaving. Yeah. Right. In that the was... suitcase, that was, that was strange. Yeah, they're trying to give that actress something to do, which I'm sympathetic to. But and give her more agency than Shakespeare gives her, right? But yeah. ultimately, this character is just a passive pawn of the men in her life, and you know, there's only so much you can do to tr- gussy that up. Yep. If you really want to gender swap Shakespeare, then just gender swap Shakespeare. Just do an all woman cast or something like that. <sighs> Apparently, there have been those versions. Yep. More like Shamlet. That's what I have to say about that. She Hamlet. She Hamlet. <laughs> That's she, Hamlet. Oh, I'm going to have to leave here soon. Well, you can't leave, Brandon, without saying what bird you think Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds would be. I can say that, and then I'll nod out. Okay. A turtle doves. Aw. All right. Or hummingbirds. Or hummingbirds. And do you want to say before you leave why I'm even mentioning the name of Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds? Because they are some of our generous patrons over at patreon.com forward slash the bookening that's right you can support this podcast there you support it for ten dollars a month and you get a donor shout out and brandon will say that you're lovebirds or turtle doves sorry and brandon's got to run so i think jake's gonna do the rest of the bird duties here i got it goodbye brandon all right artful anthony dodger jake woodpecker little anthony cigar store pigeon the immortal chelsea e Peacock. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Roosters. Lily of the Valley. Vulture. Andrew Nestor the Lovebirds. Swallows. 
<laughs> Keefmaster. Seagull. David's Mighty Men Trucking. Quail. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. Ducks. Jane and Katie who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis and Kilding too. We have faces. Pelican. Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness Mother Beth. Magpie. Council Prime Adam. Parrot. Nathan Not Me. Turkey. Ryan the Red Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Crane. DJ Sammy G. Kingfisher. Benny and Dana Tiberius. Sparrow. Eric and Catherine from Yawn Window Breaks. Ostrich. Professor and Lady X. Crow. Lavender's Green Dylan Dylan. Lavender's Raven. <laughs> Got him. Noah Constrictor. <laughs> A hen. Marichip. A night Nightingale. Fair and Fragment Maiden Chloe. Eagle. Anthony who is cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese. Penguin. Jujutsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Flamingo. Midnight Ninja Ellen. Goose. Return of the Jedediah. Uh, he's a cuckoo bird. <laughs> yeah, in your face, Jedediah. Jay of Rack and hey, Ruin. James Bond is also a cuckoo. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Was, uh, At least according to Blofeld. Blofeld himself, the great Blofeld. James, James Bond's <laughs> brother. <laughs> <coughs> more like Boofeld. all right go, folks you can go over to sanity at the movies to hear us litigate all things james bond very very soon but actually probably like the day after this podcast comes out you'll hear a podcast on james bond and the ruination of western civilization and also no time to die so all those th- three things go together as you might imagine all right where was I? Who did I just say? Who was Cuckoo? Uh, Return of the Jedediah. Oh, really? Just so we didn't, so we haven't said Jay of Rack and Ruin? He's an owl. Timothy, ooh, nice, wise. Bendy head. Timothy the Rider at Dawn. Hawk. Eric and Kate the Camp Champ Kings who are warm and love bees. Partridges. Maddie, Maddie, Matt Man. Goldfinch. Sweet James Sunshine. Robin. I guess I should have saved that for Maddie, Maddie, Matt Man, but. Y- yeah, you know, he's but he's Matt Man. He's not a Robin. Tyler, the Keeper of Eternal Darkness, and Laura, the Keeper of Eternal Light. Finch. Cold Steel Cody. Sandpiper. Jacqueline, the Librarian Barbarian. A stork. John Bobadilla Bomb Diggity and Captain Tennille, his mate. Hornbill. Both of them Hornbills? Yep. Hornsbill. Saxophone Alex? Skylark. The other Saxophone Alex and Dubstep Danny? Canaries. Ryan, the Terror of Texas, and Eric of the Cream and Crimson, who no longer are stuck in the cold. Please send cheese. Mmm... What did I just say? Ooh, I, you, you, Canaries? I you would Starling. That. Starling. Uh, Ryan Solo, or no, uh, sorry. Ben Solo and Kylo Ren. Macaw. Macaw, Macaw. John the Cosmic King of Chaos. Cockatoo. Matthew the Mind Flayer. Heron. Any are you okay? Get you can. Flight of the Valerie. Just a J. Thor Ragnajosh. The Cardinal. Steven dot dot dot. Chickadee. Piglodon. Bluebird. Christopher the Flower Hulk. A Kiwi. Lady of the Crystal Lake. Wren. Ian the Death of Marianne, Lord of Death. Mockingbird. Emily M. A man in possession of an Emily is in want of nothing. Pheasant. Emily Nightshade, the Haunter of Dreams. Falcon. All about the Benjamin, baby. Mallard. Mysterious Phantom. D- an emu. <laughs> and of course, sorry, Mysterious Phantom, but you did bring it on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you chose that name. Jeremy, the dark hooded Lord of Death, and his brooding bride, Maya! Maya! <laughs> Puffins. Puffins. And 
Danny my kids dude. last night were having an argument, or maybe it wasn't last night. My two youngest sons were in bed having an argument. We overheard five and six years old about whether or not a puffin was a penguin. Uh, the answer is no. Anyhow, do we have somebody else? No, that was it. Cool. A puffin. Wait, that's true, right? A puffin's not a penguin. I, yeah, I think so. A puffin is a penguin. No, I are think we smarter than a six-year-old? Puffins, penguins. Puffins aren't penguins. Are puffins? What's the difference between a puffin? No, puffins are not penguins. Okay, they just. Thought but the situation were... is not black and white. That's what the website says. Genetically, huh? No, they're very different. Genetically different. All kinds of different. They are not related. Puffins are not penguins. There you go. All right. Well, folks, I'm glad that we could clear this up. And yeah, just remember, puffins aren't penguins. And that'd be a good name for a band, don't you think? Puffins aren't penguins. Yeah, no, yeah. that'd be a great name for a band. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.